for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. Oh, thank you so much. Good morning. You can be seated. Actually, stand back up. Sit back. No, I'm just, no, no, stand back up. Stand, stay standing. Uh, here's how I, here's what I feel in my spirit right now. I feel like we are distracted. Um, and I would love to be able to preach in the presence of the Lord this morning. And, um, and I feel like for, for most of us in the room, like we are going through the motions, checking something off of our to-do list for the week. Maybe we're having fun with our friends, but um, I feel like even to this point in the service that God has been like a, an afterthought. And so before we move on, I want us to take just a minute um, to, to pray. We, we, because we can't, we can't do this without him. We can't, we can't build for him without him. You understand? Like he, he hasn't called us to work for him. He's called us to work with him. And so, uh, come on, would you, if, if you, if you know how to pray, you can pray in the spirit or pray in the understanding. If you know how to pray, just begin right, right now where you're at. Just begin to lift your voice. Father, we need your presence today. God, we don't want to, we don't want to, it's been said, we don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Oh, we, we need you here. God, we need you to take center stage. We need you to lead. We need you to empower and to fill everything that we do today, God. God, we, re we repent for how easily distracted we are. For the worthless things that we give our attention to, God. Quiet right now, quiet the voice. Silence the voice of distraction and deception. And would you come, 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 right now, Father, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. We need you here. We need you here this morning, Father. God, we want to behold you. We want to feel you. We want to see you. We want to experience you and encounter you today. But we don't want to just talk about you or read about you. We want to come to know you today in a way far beyond, infinitely past anything we've ever imagined. You are the one that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. So Father, come and exceed our expectations today. God, we, we repent for our small dreams. We ask you to come right now. Father, to exceed our wildest imaginations. Come and just astonish us today. Come and mark us today. Let this be a day that we remember as, as the day that everything changed. Father, we need you. God, we need you. We need you, Father. We need you. God, we want to stand in awe of you today. We bless you. And we say, be exalted here. Yahweh, be exalted here. Yahweh, be exalted be exalted, be magnified, be lifted high, be glorified in this place. Come and demonstrate your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
You can be seated. You know, uh, during the years I spent ministering in a, a different city every night, one of the things that we would do most regularly is when we would come into a, a new city, when we'd come into a new neighborhood, uh, I would just sort of walk around the, the area and, um, and just try to feel by the Spirit, just try to sense by the Spirit what, it, what, uh, uh, what the climate or, or the environment of a, a region was, you know? And so I, I did a lot of discerning and I did a lot of... Uh, um, Uh, I did a lot of listening, you know, and, and I think people, you know, everybody would be in the room and they would hear what I would preach, but the truth is, you know, I would, I would listen, you know, 10 times more than I would talk whenever I would come into a city. And so I, I would spend the first hours that I was in a, a particular city just listening and, and just saying, Lord, what do you have to say about this city? What do you have to say about the people that are going to come hear me minister this evening? What do, you, what do you have to say about this region? What's your destiny here? Uh, what, what's the, the destiny that you have in mind for, um, for this place? What, is, uh, what are some of the obstacles that maybe this place is running into? And, um, and one of the things that's so interesting to me is, is that, uh, I'll never forget, I, I, I can't remember the, the city that we were in, in Florida. We were playing a concert in Florida and, and I just felt all day like this, it, was, it felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. You know, it just, it felt like I was just being stifled in the spirit and, and like, I, I couldn't feel God's presence, you know? And, uh, um, and so I had this, this brilliant idea. I said, you know, there is a name that is above every name. That at the, the mention of the name of Jesus Christ, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord, right? And so, so I had this crazy idea in Florida and I want to do it today as well. I, uh, I, I said to these people, I don't know, six, seven, eight hundred people in, at this um, this venue, this music venue in Florida, I said, we're going to just shout the name because the name breaks chains. The name opens prison doors. The name sets captives free, right? And so this is what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to obliterate the, the fog of sleep that has fallen on the people of this house. Can we do that? Okay. So I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, we're going to shout the name of Jesus, salvation himself, as loud as we possibly can. Are you ready? Rich Hartman is ready. Rich Hartman, Rich Hartman and Ashley Garola are going are gonna to be the breakers God uses. Come on. Okay, one, two, three. Come on. All right. All right. All right, I can preach now. Thank you. <laughs> this is good. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you're here in the room. Thank you that when we gather together in your name, that you are here in our midst. We've been talking for the last uh, couple weeks. I've been meditating now for about a month on this idea of immersion. And I shared a little bit last week about what I'd been thinking, right? Cultural immersion, that is that, that the fastest way to learn about a culture, to learn a new language or to learn new customs is to jump in to that culture. And then also immersion therapy, which is a practice employed by many psychologists. It's the idea that if someone is dealing with a, 
with an, uh, an, an illogical or unnecessary fear that the best way for them to confront that fear is to, uh, sorry, the, the best way for them to, to deal with that fear is to confront it in a controlled sort of environment. And so uh, I think we're probably gonna be doing a little bit of both of those things in the next little bit. I think that some of you are afraid of the presence of God. Um, you're curious, but you're, but you're afraid. And, uh, and so you come into this room and you watch other people encounter him because you're not ready to yourself. And, and I think for you, this is gonna be a time of immersion therapy that God is gonna toss you into the deep end of his presence and, uh, and you're gonna think, I'm drowning. And he's gonna say, exactly. <laughs> we're, gonna deal with, we're gonna deal with the you in you once and for all so the world can finally see Jesus. Amen. Uh, and then I think for some others of us that we've been talking about, we've been contemplating this idea of the kingdom, and yet we've not really experienced it manifested. We've been studying and discussing and considering the kingdom, but we've not yet been experiencing it. And so there's going to be a cultural, a season of cultural immersion, I think, that we're coming into. But I, I want to talk about one of my favorite stories as I've been meditating on um, what cultural immersion looks like? What does it look like for, for someone to jump into something that's wholly unfamiliar and to try to, you know, tread water until they can, until they can grow accustomed to it? Uh, I, the, the, the Lord kept bringing me back to Isaiah chapter six. It's one of my very favorite passages in all of scripture. And, uh, and so that's what I'm going to teach on this morning. I should also tell you, uh, my good friend, our good friend, Brandon Battle is here, uh, with us today. You guys, you guys may not know Brandon, which is a, a great tragedy. He, uh, he's one of the staff members at, uh, I think I've mentioned that, that every Monday night, I'm able to go down to Knoxville, Tennessee to, um, to teach kingdom leadership principles to a group of uh, middle and high school athletes uh, that train at a gym down there called Triple F. The Triple F is for faith, family, and football. And so my oldest boy, Kai, and I go down to, uh, uh, to Knoxville. We drive down to Knoxville every Monday night and we get to minister down there. He gets to train and I get to teach. And, uh, and Brandon's one of the staff members there and has become a good friend of ours. And we love him very, very much. He, he just got a job working for the Phoenix Suns. Um, we've got a lot of Suns fans here. In a, and so uh, uh, we do now, you know, we love you. So we want you to succeed. But uh, let's, not playing for the Phoenix Suns, but you can still get an autograph anyway. You never know what might happen. And, uh, but he's, uh, he's gonna be going to Phoenix soon. And so we're gonna... Um, we're going to miss him dearly, but we wanted to make sure that he had a chance to come and see what a good church looks like so he knows what to look for when he gets out there. Amen? <laughs> and so, Brandon, we're glad that you're here. Y'all make sure that you make him feel like family while he's with us today. Amen? Um, so in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, depending on what translation you have, there may be a, uh, a little title at the beginning of Isaiah 6, it says something like Isaiah's commission or uh, the prophet is called or, or something like that. And uh, so we're going to study, this is the, the moment that I, Isaiah receives his assignment from the Lord, his prophetic assignment that would ultimately define his life. And, uh, um, and I'm, I'm going to sort of draw some things out of this as we go, but I, um, I'm going to, I want to just jump in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, it says this, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another, 
and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs, from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. All right. So Isaiah sees this. Um, this depiction of, of the heavenly realm, the throne room of God. We see it again in, uh, in Revelation chapter four. Interestingly, the creatures that John records seeing in, in Revelation chapter four, are, are, they're singing the same song, holy, holy, holy. Uh, they're singing the same song 800 years later when John writes Revelation chapter four as they were singing in, in, here in Isaiah chapter six. And so Isaiah has this sort of throne room encounter with the Lord. And... Uh, in this, uh, you should know about Revelation chapter four and Isaiah chapter six that these have been for me, maybe more than any other passage of scripture, uh, provocative to the point at which they've shaped my prayer time. They've shaped my, my time of worship and dreaming. The, these have been defining insights to me about what it's like to be with God. And because they've been defining insights to me about what it is like to be with God, when I come into prayer, I expect Isaiah chapter six. When I come into prayer, I expect Revelation chapter four. When I come into the presence of God, I expect to come into the presence of God. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. I pray that they would be with me where I am. And, and so we should know, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says that in Christ and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And so, if Isaiah, under an inferior covenant, is able to approach God like this, then surely I can do more than sit in a closet and mumble to myself, right? And so I expect throne room encounters with the Lord. I, th I think we all should expect throne room encounters with the Lord. And not because I think that I'm more important than Isaiah, but because I think that the covenant that has been offered to me is more substantial than that which Isaiah had. It's not that my faith is in myself. It's that my faith is in the Lamb of God who took away my sin. And so my expectation is that I wouldn't just have to talk about God, that I wouldn't just have to throw prayers out and hope that he hears one or two of them from time to time. My expectation is that I would be able to come before him, to behold him in his glory, to see him, to experience him, to, to have these life-defining sort of transformational throne room moments with God. And, and this is what we see in Isaiah's life. We see the same thing in John's. And, um, and, and if, if I had more time than I probably have this morning, I would tell you about several of the throne room encounters that I've had. These have been times that I've, I've been in this place. I've seen these, these creatures. I've, I've been in the, uh, in the presence of, of God. And, and, uh, and I, I, I just don't think that in the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be able to adequately describe any of it to you. So I'll just tell you, you should go and see for yourself.
let's put faith in, in the power of the blood to deal with whatever disqualifying attributes we may have. Do you understand? I'm, what I'm preaching to you right now is just the gospel. I'm telling you there is power in the blood to deal with whatever disqualifying attributes you may have. Therefore, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. If the blood of Christ was truly sufficient to deal with your guilt in God's eyes, then there is nothing keeping you from coming before him. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now this is... Um, this is a, a phrase, the train of his robe filled the temple that I think is lost in many ways on a, a, a modern audience. Uh, to give you some insight um, here, when, uh, during this time, this period in history, when, when, a, when one nation would conquer another nation, uh, they would kill the soldiers, but they would keep the king. And Pastor Ian has talked about um, the, the idea, I think it's in Ephesians, that uh, Jesus has triumphed over the powers of of darkness, making a public spectacle of them and triumphing over them at the cross. And uh, uh, in this idea of, of a public spectacle, it's like a, a parade. When, when a, a king would conquer an enemy, he would uh, kill the soldiers, but he'd keep the king and he would drag the king through the city, strip him of his clothes, and he'd drag him through the city by a ring in his nose so that everyone could see this humiliated king brought low in the eyes of, of the, the people uh, whose army was victorious. And, uh, and so, similarly, there's a, a political component to this. And we've talked a lot about the kingdom, the idea that, that the gospel really is fundamentally political more than it is religious. And, uh, and so, the idea here that um, Isaiah is communicating is, is this. Customarily, when a king would conquer another kingdom, they would strip the king of his clothes and they would parade him through the streets as a public spectacle to... To, to mock and to demonstrate uh, how far he had, had fallen. Um, but what would be done with his robe or his, uh, uh, the, the train that he wore to sort of signify his royalty or his dignity, what would be done with that is it would be given to the king that had conquered him. And the conquering king would then sow the train of the newly conquered uh, king to the end of his and so if I conquered your kingdom, I would take your king's robe and I would sew it to the end of mine. And my robe would become even more significant, even more beautiful, even more impressive. It's twice as long now as it was before. And then my growing kingdom continues to grow. And so I, I, uh, I conquer another kingdom and I, I strip that king of his glory, of his robe. And then I sew his, his robe to the, the end of mine. And now mine is three times as long as it was before. And so when Isaiah describes the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple, what he's communicating here is not just that his robe was really big. It's that this king has won victory after victory after victory after victory. That every other kingdom has become subject to this one. Right, what he's, what he's seeing, what he's painting a picture for his audience of is, is that the one who sits on the throne of heaven has conquered every kingdom. See, this is good news. That means that right now, the one who is seated on the throne, he's got, he's got the robe of cancer sewn to the back of his robe, right? He's got the robe of divorce and child abuse sewed, sewed to the end of his robe. He's got the robe of false religion stripped off of 
the, the enemy that, that used to sit on a throne. He's dethroned that enemy. He's stripped him of his glory and he's sewn it onto his own, his own robe. And so the train of his robe filling the temple, it's not just a, a dis- descriptive line. It's, it's a line that, that is implicit of the victory, the ultimate victory that he, that he sits in today. Is that good news for you to know that your enemy's been stripped already? Your enemy has been disarmed and defeated already. And, and the one who sits on the throne of heaven is seated above every other authority that may try to come against you. This is good news, right? So he's seated on the throne. What Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. The word seraphim means burning ones. I'm convinced that, that everyone who gets close to God gets set on fire. Seraphim. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So take a minute. Get your head around this image. This is the... Uh, I need, to get, I need to get some AI-generated art of Isaiah chapter 6. The, tra- the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it, above the throne, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So these creatures, these otherworldly creatures that um, later in, in Revelation chapter 4, we read that one of them has the has a, a face like an ox, one like a, an eagle, one like a lion, and one like a man. That these four living creatures, are, they're otherworldly. They're indescribable. They're not like anything that we could imagine or understand in, in this world. And, and these four creatures, they fly around the throne. And, and it says that, that one cried to another in, in verse three. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let me take a minute to talk about this. These creatures. These creatures, they, they cry out this word, you know. In, in the Hebrew language, when, when a word is repeated twice, it's a way of bringing emphasis to the word. It's like when Yahweh says, Moses, Moses, he, he says his name twice. It's, it would be a way of like, you know, underlining or, uh, or highlighting a particular word in, in, in your literary um, practice when someone would, uh, would be writing a script, if they would write a word twice, if they'd repeat a word, it's, it's a way of drawing the reader's attention to the word. But there's this one word in scripture that two separate times is repeated three times. It's this word, Kadesh, Kadesh, Kadesh. Holy, 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 which means like separate, different, it means other. There is something fully sacred and set apart about the one these creatures are looking at. Now you can imagine these creatures are pretty wild themselves. Creatures that are described as being full of eyes around and within. Creatures that are indescribable, otherworldly. These, these incredible creatures that are, that are just beyond description, beyond imagination. They fly around the throne and they look at the one who sits on the throne and they're saying, there's nothing like you. There's nothing like you. There's nothing like you. They're looking at the one who sits on the throne and saying, holy, holy, holy. See, to be, to be holy, and, and as they're describing him, is not to say virtuous. Oh, he's virtuous. 
but that word falls far short. It does, to be holy doesn't just mean to live an ethical life. To be holy means to be set apart fully from every other thing. It means to be different, indescribable, and incomparable. And so these creatures, they fly around his throne and they declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That is Yahweh Tzabaoth. And they say this thing. This is a, a phrase uh, first used by David. Uh, first time it's ever used, this, this name or this title, this descriptive name of God, Yahweh Tzabaoth. The first time it's ever used is by David when he's talking to Goliath. And, uh, and these creatures, they use it in, uh, here in Isaiah chapter six. And, and um, it's a beautiful word, Tzabaoth which is the root word of Sabaoth. It's the word for armies. Um, and so the idea is it's Yahweh Sabaoth. It's like you're Yahweh, the, the Lord of heaven's armies, the, the commander of, of the armies of, of the divine. And, and, and so it's like the God of warfare, you know? And these creatures are saying, holy, 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 Kadesh, Kadesh, Kadesh is Yahweh Sabaoth, the, the commander of heaven's armies. And then they say this phrase that in my experience in ministry is the hardest thing for me to convince Christians of. The whole earth is full of his glory. What? Listen, how many times have we stood at pulpits? Hey, my friend is here. This, this cardinal has been Every time we get together to worship, she's been flying around this door every week, like week after week for probably the, what, the last month? When we get together for men's prayer, she's there. And, um, and she just hangs out. I love, the thing I love about cardinals is that they're faithful. They mate for life. Um, and so this, this mama over here, I think may just have a heart for the things of God. She, I don't think she has a nest out there. I think she just likes to sit. She just comes to visit. I'm sorry, I got distracted. I just, <laughs> we pay attention to birds in our, oh, there's her husband. There's the male right there. Sorry, I, you guys can't see, uh, you guys can't. He's right there. They're both right there. Oh man, I love it. Hey guys. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, they wanted to come and hear about Yahweh today. The whole earth is full of his glory is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> here's, the, uh, here's the problem with that phrase. Uh, American pulpits agree almost across the board, that someday the earth will be full of his glory. But there's a problem because Isaiah 6 verse 3 begs to differ. We've, we've all been told that there's going to come a day when Jesus comes back, when Jesus brings in or, or establishes his eternal kingdom and that 
on that day, then finally the earth will be full of his glory. We look forward with great anticipation to what so many pastors and preachers in our nation have inaccurately labeled as as the, the hope of the Christian life, that is the return of Jesus. But the Bible says that Christ in me is the hope of glory. That's our hope, right? Not the rapture. Not escape, but Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. And now here's our issue. We, we, we learn about how wicked the world is. We learn about how broken and how fallen and how fractured the world is. And we, you know, we get on our cell phones and we watch our TVs and we read newspapers and we find out about all the things that are going wrong in the world. But the whole time, just over our shoulder, the voice of heaven is saying, the whole earth is full of his glory. 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 And we don't actually believe it. We believe that it might be someday. We hope that someday the whole earth would be full of his glory. But 800 years before the incarnation of Christ, heaven is singing this song. The whole earth is full of his glory. Even the birds recognize it. And so what is the issue here? Is it that God's word is not true? Is the issue that the the whole earth isn't full yet, someday it's gonna be. See, my problem with this passage is that I read it for years thinking surely they meant the whole heavenly realm, right? It's a heavenly, this they're in heaven and they must be saying, well, you know, this whole area where we are is full of the glory of the Lord, right? Unfortunately, that's not what the text says. It doesn't say the whole throne room of God is full of his glory. It says the whole earth is full of his glory. The birds know it. And so is the issue that Isaiah 6, 3 is inaccurate and the earth is not actually full of God's glory? Or is the issue that there's something wrong with our ability to perceive the glory of God that's around us all the time? I'm convinced it's the latter. The issue is not with God's glory. The issue is with our eyes. We are so concerned with the bills we have to pay. We're so concerned with the likes our most recent Facebook post got. We're so concerned with our reputation. We're so concerned with our, the shame of our past or our fear about our future. We're so concerned with every other thing that God's glory can be all around us and we can miss it because we live with our heads in the sand. If you're not convinced that the whole earth is full of his glory, take a walk through the woods this week and just watch. If you're not convinced that the whole earth is full of his glory, come tomorrow for prayer. We open the sanctuary every Monday from, what, 10 to 2. Is that right? From 9 a.m. to 2 in the afternoon. You could come here for 15 minutes during that time span and stand by that door and watch these birds begging to come in to the presence of the Lord that lives in this house. Right? If you're not convinced that the whole earth is full of his glory, watch the little girls in this church just dance when we come into worship. Friend, the whole earth is full of his glory. And if you're not seeing it, it's not because it's not there, it's because you're not looking. And so I'm, I'm calling you this morning to repent of your distraction. 
to repent of your to re, to repent of the ideas that you were indoctrinated with that God could only be experienced someday in the future and to come into the glorious reality that Jesus died for you to to know today. And that is one that would open your eyes and soften your heart to the glory of God that is all around you right now and always. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Tzabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory. These creatures, these four living creatures, these six-winged indescribable beings, can you imagine what might happen if one of them came and stood at a pulpit as a guest speaker at our church? Oh, they would describe God in more exquisite detail than you could possibly comprehend. They wouldn't preach about, you know, forgiveness. They wouldn't give you like six, you know, six steps to building influence in your workplace. What they would preach to you is God the one who sits on the throne, they would describe him in detail beyond comprehension. They would, they would leave you stunned and undone, overwhelmed, shocked and just ruined on the floor at, at the picture they could paint to you of what he's like. This is what we need from preachers. This is what we need from pastors. This is, this is what I need. I need to be the kind of person that, that can see him for who he is and can stand at this pulpit and the confidence that only communion can produce. Listen, we don't need more pastors standing at pulpits talking about a God they've only read about. John the Baptist, one of my favorite descriptions is that John the Baptist is, is described in, in John 1 as a man sent from God. Not as a man sent by God. A man sent from God. It carries with it an implication of a source point, right? That he started with God. He started where God was. And from that place, he was sent to bear witness to the light. Uh, listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be a man sent from God. Put that on my headstone. A man sent from God, not a man sent by God. I want to be a man sent from God. This is what Isaiah becomes in Isaiah chapter six. Not a man sent by God, a man sent from God. And these creatures, I think, would come from God with a sense of the holiness, the majesty, the glory, the beauty, the immutability, the power, the strength, the holiness, the purity, the passion, the fire, and the fear of the Lord. That would be beyond anything we could possibly imagine. Anthony's going to paint some incredible stuff for us very soon. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, this is Isaiah speaking, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Tzabaoth. So I said, woe is me, I am undone. Let me translate. Uh, this is New King James for something like, 
All right, Isaiah, you should understand, this isn't, you know, a sort of subdued, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean, right? This is, that's sort of Shakespearean, King James uh, English, for I think I'm going to die because I just saw God. See, we have in our preaching in our desire to make God accessible, we have inadvertently made God incapable. And we've, I have talked about this a lot through the years, that, that we've been so eager to present God as friendly and approachable and welcoming that we have failed to adequately describe how horrifying he really is. This is Isaiah. He's the prophet of Israel. In chapter one, and chapter two, and chapter three, and four, and five, over and over and over again, dozens of times, he says, thus saith the Lord. These four words that only the prophet can say. He's serving as the prophet of Israel. He's the most significant spiritual voice in all of Israel. He's the man of God, the man of power for the hour for five full chapters. And something changes when he sees the Lord. And we've got to ask ourselves, what's the, what's the difference here? I mean, Isaiah, aren't you the prophet of Israel? See, <clears throat> my problem with the way that we read and the way that we teach this passage is, is, you know, there's probably a little title in your Bible, like I mentioned earlier, that says something like the call of the prophet or Isaiah's commission. The problem is that Isaiah didn't start prophesying in Isaiah chapter six. God interrupted him. He was already in ministry. He was already the prophet of Israel. For five chapters, he was serving in full-time prophetic ministry. He had authority. He had influence. He had a grace on his life that caused him to speak with authority. And then something happens in Isaiah 6 that short-circuits everything he thought he knew about God. For five full chapters, he was saying, thus saith the Lord. And now in Isaiah 6, 5, he's on his face screaming, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Something changed to take Isaiah from thus saith the Lord to I'm a man of unclean lips. What happened? He saw God. And, and, and this may not have been quite as prevalent a problem in Isaiah's day as it is today, but we've got a lot of people who are eager to speak on behalf of a God they've never been with. We've got a lot of people that are eager to speak on behalf of a God they've never been with. You hear politicians tell us what Jesus would... I saw a politician recently... Um, uh, making a case for the fact that Jesus would have been the grand marshal in the pride parade. He'd have been right at the very front of the parade. It's like pretty eager to speak on behalf of a God you've never been with, aren't you? And the truth is, if that person were to ever see God, I think that her reaction would have been very similar to Isaiah's. I am a person of unclean lips. I shouldn't have said anything. 
I should have stayed silent. It would have been better for me to stay, to stay silent altogether than for me to speak on behalf of a God I never knew. And we get in arguments and online comment sections and we, we bicker about you know, this one opinion or this one expression or this one idea. We talk about theologies and ideologies and we do our best to represent God, but we've never been with God. We try to say, thus saith the Lord about a God we know about, but we don't really know. And my prayer for you is that there would come a day when you come into an encounter with him like Isaiah's encounter that would take everything you thought you knew, every speculation or vain conception and would trash it all for the glory of God so that you would no longer be a person sent by God which would be a person sent from him. That you would find your origin in his presence and that everything that comes out of your life would be a secondary consequence of the proximity you've experienced to the living God. Isaiah cries out, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, verse six says, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. You know, can I tell you, this is one of the reasons our church is called the Altar Fellowship is because it's, it's, it's fire on an altar that, that, that burns away the impurities in us. See, my prayer from the very inception of this movement has been that God would send a fire on this place that would burn away everything impure, every, everything ingenuine, every selfish motive and, and, uh, and personal ambition that might try to take root in this place, that this would be a, truly a fellowship of people who live their lives on the altar. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? My prayer is that this would be a fellowship of people who live their lives on the altar, who don't come here because they think it's going to be the best choice to build their brand, but who come here because they think this would be the best place to lay down their life. This is what I love so much. I don't mean to put you on the spot here. This is what I have been so impressed with um, Jacob and Mariah Coyne. You know, he, he talked to me when they were thinking that they, they might come here. There was another city that they were looking at. And, uh, uh, and, and one of the things he told me, you know, some leaders there said, man, if you come here, there's a lot of Christian billionaires that live in the city. And, you know, it'll be a great opportunity for you to network and, and like build your ministry. And, you know, we're going to get you funded. And, and, uh, you know, we're going to help take your ministry to the next level. And, uh, and I said, well, I don't think there's any Christian billionaires in Johnson City. <laughs> I can't promise you we're going to introduce you to anybody, but I can promise you that if you come here, I'll make it my personal business to make sure that your marriage and your kids thrive in the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, I I've, I've have said I had a similar conversation with um, Apostle Aaron back in 2012. My spiritual father, I... I uh, you know, had a, um, 
an opportunity, an open door to begin preaching at a ministry that was regularly on TV and pretty well connected around the nation and widely respected. And I thought this is going to be a great, this could be the, the opportunity that I needed to really launch my preaching career. And the Lord said, I want to bury you in the bayou of South Alabama under the, the kind of leader that is never on TV and wouldn't want to be even if they wanted to film him. You know, like he just a man that is like fiercely, and, and we went, we said, okay, Lord, we'll go down there. And we sat down there and we sat down there and we sat down there year after year after year. And I was like, this is not good for my brand, you know? And, uh, and God said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when, but, but if you, when you leave this place, not to say that I'd ever leave Apostle Aaron, but you know, even when I would travel out of Mobile, he said, what's happening is that, that, that because you're anchored in this family, when you leave this place, you're finally going to have something worth saying. See, and that's the, the difference. And, and Jacob and, and those, the rest of you that have a sense that you're called to something big, what, is, what happens in this place is that the Lord cultivates something worth saying. You may, you may go fewer places, but I'm telling you, the places that you go are going to be infinitely more fruitful because you're not going to be generic. I'm so proud of you for your yes to the, to the Lord. Uh, for your yes to, to godly character and not just a bigger platform. And, uh, and I'm telling you, he's going to reward it by blessing your marriage. He's going to reward it by blessing your children. Your kids are going to learn to worship and they're going to be so thankful that dad's home for dinner. Come on. And that you, you've, been, you've seen a lot of kids. Alan, just lay, go lay hands on them, would you? You've seen a lot of, of kids that resent ministry and that resent God for having called their parents to ministry and that will never touch your children. They're gonna be so thankful that mom and dad said yes to the Lord all the days of their life. Come on. Come on I want you to know that there is nothing you have, that, that there's nothing that you've laid down that you're not gonna receive back tenfold in, uh, in, in the days to come. That, that there's a, a glory that is coming to your house that is not even fit to be compared to the struggles of, of your past or even your present. I declare over you guys uh, a forceful peace that will go before you everywhere that you go. And when everybody else is talking about how hard ministry is, you're going to have to say, I can't relate, man. It's been glorious for me every step of the way. Come on. Now, what other people call a, a, a God, what's the word? What other people call a, a battleground, you're going to call a, a victory march, you know, that, it's, that you're going to be out for a walk with your family. And that's it, man. You're gonna be out for a walk with your family and thank God that you've given yourself the space to go out for walks with your family because that's, that's where eternity gets reshaped. Amen? Come on. I love you guys. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. And it, I, I'll tell you what, if I ever meet a Christian billionaire, I'll introduce you to him. <laughs> thank you, Lord. <laughs> One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live colt, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, Isaiah writes. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. You know, there's something about heavenly fire burning away iniquity that, that has probably got to be a, a regular part of our everyday lives as believers. See, this is, it's also what shaped the church in Acts chapter 2. Right? 
The believers were gathered together in one accord, and suddenly there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. Filled the place. Cloven tongues of fire came to rest on each of their heads. They began to speak in other tongues as, as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, what happens is, is that God mirrors the, the new covenant with the old covenant. And, and this fire that, that brings purity to Isaiah that he'd never experienced before is the same fire, I'm convinced, that touched the early church in Acts chapter 2. And, and it's the same fire that today we need. We need. Every false motive every selfish ambition, every uh, prideful impulse that we have. Let's let the fire of God, let's lay them on the altar and let the fire of God burn them up because this, if this is anything, this has got to be a fellowship of people who live their lives on the altar, continually saying, yes, God, make me a living sacrifice for your glory. In verse eight, Isaiah says, and also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. See, here's my problem with the title at the top of Isaiah chapter six in your Bible. that says the call of the prophet. My problem with that is that Isaiah wasn't called. Isaiah volunteered. See, and, and this is a principle I think that we really, especially in the charismatic side of the theological spectrum, we really fail to comprehend this principle. Isaiah wasn't called, he volunteered. And, and how many of us live our lives saying, well, you know, I'm just waiting for a call from the Lord, trying to find out what my calling is. See, at, at some point, we've got to recognize that God's not just looking for people who are willing, God's looking for people who are eager. God, I, w I hope a few people can hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Here's, here's, here's the thing. Okay, so we've got three groups of people. Group number one are people who are unwilling to be used by God. They're stubborn. They're, they're, uh, they're obstinate. They're, they're, they're immovable. They're stiff-necked people who say, God, I don't care what you want. I don't care what you've called me to. I want what I want. And, uh, and I'm willing to face the consequences, right? So that's group number one. If that's you, you should repent and humble yourself right now. Come out of that group, soften your heart and trust God. I promise his plan is better than yours. You might not be able to see it right now, but it's better than yours, I'm telling you. So that's group one. Group two, and this is where most American Christians are. They say, God, I'm here if you need me for anything. I'm living a good life, I'm not in sin. I think that everything I'm doing is, is nice. It seems responsible. It's, uh, you know, viewed well in my community. Lord, if, if you need anything, I'm here. But if, if there's not anything pressing, I'm just gonna keep doing me, right? And, uh, and, and we feel like, you know what? If, if God has need of us, he'll send an angel with a flaming sword to kick down our bedroom door in the middle of the night and say, the Lord hath need of your gift. Uh, and, and the problem with living like that, the problem with living like that is that you will live like that for the rest of your life. You will live and die never having done anything of eternal consequence. The problem with that is that it looks good to everyone around you. I'm willing to be used by God. You come to church and you say, yes, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm available if you need anything. But the issue is um, you don't realize that the Lord doesn't need you at all. He never did. He never will. 
I don't know how gifted you think you are, but it's not gifted enough that God says, I'm really struggling with this. Let me get Jeff to come and sort it out for me, right? And sorry if your name's Jeff. I, maybe it's a word for you, you know? Maybe, maybe God has something to say. Um, the problem with living like that is that you will live your entire life. You'll live and die purposeless, aimless, and fruitless. Thinking, well, I, God just never gave me a call. It's because we don't realize that there's a third group. This group of people, they're not just willing to be used by God. They're eager to be used by God. And these are the ones that bang on the door of heaven and say, God, use me, use me, use me, use me, use me. You're going to use somebody. Why not me? You're going to move at some point. Why not now? Right? God, if, if you're going to change the world, you, certainly you could do it through me. If you can speak to Balaam through a donkey, surely you could use somebody like me. God, if you can use somebody like Pastor Maddie, then surely you can use me. Right? This is, this is like... The, the, this third group of people, these are the ones that get all of the, the opportunities. These are the ones that they show up in prayer every morning and say, God, use me today. If there's anyone hurting in my city, I pray they'd cross my path today. God, if there's, if there's any way that I can be of service, Lord, when I come to church, I'm gonna come so filled up that I'm not looking to learn something new, I'm looking to teach something new. I'm not looking to get something, I'm looking to give something, right? When we come together, God, I'm gonna give somebody a prophetic word. Lord, I'm gonna save some extra money and when we come together, I'm gonna bless somebody in the community with it when you show me how to. You know, one of the things that, that, that we, we do every week, my, my two oldest sons and I, we come to men's prayer, then we go to Waffle House down the street the Lord's waffles, you know? And uh, we go to the same waffle house every time and we, we always sit with the same, it feels like we get the same waitress. There's two of them, Tabitha. And then there's one named April who for some reason her, her name tag says Pat on it. And so, <laughs> so April Pat, she's like the sweetest lady ever, you know? And she always makes my omelets and, and like we just, we love her very much and we're always blessing her and uh, tipping, tipping her well. And, and, uh, and she gave us our breakfast for free today which is so sweet with a little note that said, thanks for everything. But a couple weeks ago, we overheard her saying that it was her birthday. She was at work on her birthday. And, and uh, she mentioned to one of her coworkers that uh, a family member of hers used to always make her a carrot cake and bring it to her on her birthday, but he wasn't gonna be able to be there that year. And so me and uh, Caleb, Kai, or sorry, me and Kai, well, chill out. I can't remember. You guys look the same. <laughs> me, me, me and uh, Kai, my oldest son, we, we said, well, hey, let's do something sweet for April. So we went over to Walmart and we bought her a carrot cake for her birthday. And we, a little, little one, you know, personal one. And we brought it over to her and we said, hey, Jesus loves you so much. And I just want you to be able to have a cake to eat on your break. Sorry, you have to be at work at Waffle House on your birthday, you know. And, uh, and she seemed like she was really touched by that. And I think, you know, that was the sort of thing, like we didn't have to do it. I didn't, God didn't have to come and say, Maddie, get this girl a cake. I didn't have some kind of word about it. I just thought, well, this is a great opportunity to show love to somebody. So let's do it, right? We want to be, I want to be the kind of person that's eager to be used by God. Not just the kind of person that says, fine, God, if you really need me to, I guess I will, right? I want to be the person that daily pursues him, that says, use me, use me, use me, use me. 
right? Give me purpose today, God. Let, like, let my eyes be open. Let my heart be soft. Let my ears be tuned to your voice because I want to be a part of your story as it's unraveled in my generation. Lord, use me. See, this is the beautiful example that we see from this prophet Isaiah. For five chapters, he's serving as a prophet. He sees God, it short circuits his brain and he realizes I should never have said anything until I came to this place. I was speaking for God, I was not speaking from him. So something changes in his heart, something changes in his mind. Then he hears the Lord asking the question in his day that I'm convinced the Lord is still asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? You should know that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those he may show himself strong on behalf of. God wants to demonstrate his strength on behalf of people. And he is looking for those that are eager enough to raise their hand and say, here am I, send me, send me. Listen, I may not be the most qualified. I may not be the most articulate. I may not be the most intelligent or the most influential God, but I'm as eager a person as you'll ever find. I'm gonna keep knocking. I'm gonna keep knocking. I'm gonna keep knocking because I want in to what you're doing in my generation. Friends, I want you to understand that what we see in Isaiah's world, in Isaiah chapter six, is that he gets immersed. He gets thrown into a heavenly paradigm that he could never have imagined or described before. He gets thrown in the deep end of the sacred places of God. And from that immersion comes a purity of, uh, of passion and a purpose that he could never have produced on his own. Isaiah finds on the other side of immersion into the presence of God, the purpose that he never knew he was looking for. He gets the message that defines his life. He gets the mission that gives shape and clarity and insight to where he should go. And from this moment of immersion, he goes from being a man sent by God to being a man sent from God. And the, the grace and the glory that rest on his life reshape human history to the point at which today we're still reading the writings of Isaiah as a roadmap pointing crystal clear to King Jesus. Amen? And so my hope for you, my passion for you is that as we are in this season of immersion, that, w- that you would, number one, that you would uh, come I want to make sure that I'm as clear as possible. My hope for you, number one, is that you'd have throne room encounters with God. That as you pray, as you worship, that God would take you by the Spirit into his dwelling place, that you would see him in his glory by the Spirit as you seek him in prayer. So that's number one. And then number two, that from that place of immersion, that instead of waiting for him to beg you to be a part of what he's doing, that you would that you would come with an eager heart, a heart that's desperate to be a part of his story, that you would say, here am I, use me. And that from that place of eagerness, that God would give you purpose, passion, and direction for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. Amen? Come on, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are not a million miles away, that by by the blood of, of Jesus, we are have been brought near. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you'd remove the distractions or the deceptions, that you'd draw us into a place of encounter with you, and that from that place of encounter, God, that you'd immerse us 
in your heart, in your presence, in your power, in your passion for our generation. Lord, would you anoint and, and uh, electrify the work of our hands that it would be effective, so that it would be effective and fruitful for your sake. Lord, we come before you today and we say, here we are. Send us. God, send us. Use us in your workplace. God, we don't, we don't want to live our lives simply willing. We want to be eager. God, use us. Use us. Lord, if there's anyone hurting in this city, anyone that needs to know your love in this city, God, send them into our life. Send us into their workplace. Lord, let us cross their path. God, we thank you that you are in charge of destiny. And God, as so many of the people in this world are looking for it, would you, would you give us the confidence and the clarity that we know that we are right on destiny's path? Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your favor. And we say again today, Lord, here we are, laid down on the altar. Send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of a, uh, uh, an, uh, something that happened, gosh, now probably two years ago. I was driving into church at our other building uh, downtown. I think some of our staff members were in the office. And, uh, and I stopped at a, a, a stoplight as I was uh, right at the corner there by the church, and a girl drove into the back of my car. And, um, you know, she's panicking and crying by the time I get back there. And, and she's just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be late for work. And, you know, her car's crumpled up a little bit. And, and um, she's just like scared out of her mind. And I said, well, here's the thing. Uh, if you're going to bump into me, it must mean that God really loves you. There's certainly worse people you could run your car into, you know, so do you know, do you know Jesus? And she said, no, you know, I went to church as a kid, but I've fallen away. And, you know, I said, well, let's make the most out of this awful situation. You should give your life to Jesus today. And she said, you're right. And so she got saved in our office that day. <laughs> you should know that you should know everyone I've ever gotten in an accident with. I have prayed and prophesied over like every single one of them. It's like, you know, we're, I'm going to have to call insurance, but I've got to have something to be excited about today, you know? Uh, and, and, and so I, I want you to understand, like, if you will posture your heart to be eager to be used by God, you'll see opportunities all over the place. You will see opportunities all over the place. And so let's begin to believe that maybe God, maybe the people we run into, no pun intended, aren't accidental. Maybe it's not random. Maybe the waitress at Waffle House isn't random. Maybe the people that God brings across our path, our answers to the prayer, here I am, send me, All right? And so, uh, guys, I, I want you to know that, that God has a plan to reach this generation, and that plan is you. The plan is you. Let's live like it. Amen? All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you here Wednesday at 6.30, and then again Sunday at 10. One more thing. This thing with Derek Carr in a couple weeks, um, this is your opportunity to bring your neighbor that doesn't care about Pastor Matty but might care about NFL, you know, Pro Bowl quarterback Derek Carr, you know. This is your chance to bring the coworker, to bring that, you know, that, that uncle, you know, who's throwing a tantrum about the Bud Light thing right now, but he loves football. This is your chance. This is your chance to bring him to church. So bring your friends that are questioning, people that are unsaved, um, that are lost, that are backslidden. This is your chance to bring them into the church 
and, um, and to, to get them into the presence of the Lord, okay? So grab some flyers on your way out and we will see you in a few days. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the altar as we work to establish the kingdom of heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org.